I'm Linda. And I'm Craig. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. It's episode 193 and we're talking about backpacking Europe, something that uh, we love. We really do love backpacking Europe. So we're going to share some of our tips and tricks for indie travel in Europe, which is where the Indie Travel Podcast started, incidentally. So, you know, close to home. <laughs> and we'll also answer some of your questions. Well, this week we've actually been at home in, uh, <laughs> in Auckland, our, uh, our home city, for, uh, for Easter and Anzac Day. And uh, we celebrated them in the typically New Zealand fashion of not, not doing very much not at all. really noticing that they went yeah i did eat hot cross buns on good friday and Mm -hmm. easter eggs on sunday okay yeah that's a one yeah yeah i think so and i wore my poppy on anzac day Mm -hmm. so you know yeah anzac day is the uh the new zealand and australia war memorial day the australian new zealand army corps is what it stands for and um yeah it's it's kind of a big deal and a shame that it got rolled into easter this year yeah it's a pity everyone was up in arms because usually they're separate holidays obviously and we get a public holiday day on both you know good friday easter monday and on anzac day but today easter monday and anzac day coincided and we didn't get an extra day and no one's very happy about that Mm. easter did mean we've managed to record this podcast really really late though yeah you'd think having four days off would mean that we'd actually record it on one of those days you know Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, but no, it's Tuesday and here we are recording it <laughs> at 9.30. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> Remember you can help the Indie Travel Podcast stay travelling by booking throwers. Please visit IndieTravelPodcast.com slash flight slash hostels and slash insurance when you're booking your travel online. We've also got travel deals updating daily at IndieTravelPodcast.com slash deals. You can also visit IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Amazon when you're shopping online or get a free audiobook with a two-week trial of Audible through IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Audible or slash Audiobook. And if you want to learn how to maximize your frequent flyer miles, sign up to the Travel Hacking Cartel at IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Travel Hacking and let us know how many miles you earn. Well, this week it's all about Europe travel, something we love. And with mm-hmm. the Northern Hemisphere summer coming up, it's time to get planning. Um, yeah, I mean, with uh, Europe over summer, it gets crazy busy, uh, especially with a lot of North American travelers. Yes. And so... Um, and European planning... travelers as well. I mean, they're all oh, yeah. traveling all, around all Europe. over the place. Everyone um, just ups and moves around. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So uh, by planning now, you'll hopefully still be able to catch some good airfares and uh, be able to get a good idea of what you want to do before uh, before the crush begins. Some of the tips in here are good for any kind of trip you're planning. So if Europe isn't really your cup of tea, there'll still be some good advice in here. Mm. And near the end, we will be answering some specific questions that were asked on Facebook and in the Indie Travel Podcast community. Yeah, that's right. Well, let's start talking about uh, some planning tips. And I guess my number one tip is don't do too much. You can talk. It, it's not a tip that I that I follow, and uh, at the end of every so couple of months, I end up just a little ball of stress from city hopping and going from place to place and just trying to fit far too much into my very short life. We did it really well to begin with. We spent, what was it, like four or five days in England, and we just stayed in one place, and then we went to Malta for six months mm-hmm. with a break to, to Greece for a week, and yep. then we went crazy, just totally crazy. We had a 14-day yeah. URL pass, and we just went, eee! Yeah, I think we went and to about 15 countries in was, 14 days. It was absolutely ludicrous. It wasn't quite that much, but it was about 11 or 12. Yeah, well, we changed country. We changed city two to three times a day, and we changed country about every two days. We wanted to get the most of our URL pass, <laughs> and I think we did. 
but at the cost of our sanity. Yeah, by the time we got to Amsterdam, our final city, we just collapsed. Yeah. So it is possible, but uh, not advisable. Not recommended. <laughs> You'll get a lot more out of it if you take it slowly. Choose a couple of destinations that you really want to go to and immerse yourself in them. Mm. Hey, if you're a culture vulture, make sure you plan your city days around the days the museums are going to be free. So a lot of cities have um, have either a free museum day once a month, uh, often the first or last Sunday. Yeah, usually the and, first Sunday. Um, yeah, and if the city doesn't have kind of a standardized day, a lot of museums will have free days. So if that's something you want to do a lot of, you can save hundreds of dollars mm-hmm. by looking ahead and kind of planning your trip around these free days at the the more expensive galleries. It's worth considering leaving a donation for the gallery, though, if you enjoyed it, because that helps keep them running. Yeah, and if, and if you can afford it. Uh, one thing that you can do to, uh, to keep store all this information is use some kind of bookmarking system. One we use, uh, travelgeneration.com, allows you to bookmark interesting sites and, and opening times and things like that. And then you can actually go back through and put it on a calendar. Yeah, what it is is you have a little bookmarklet at the, and you have it at the top of your browser and you just click it and it saves the page and then you can organize it according to what kind of page it is, if it's travel or if it's um, accommodation or if it's you know some sort of thing, thing, yeah, thing to attraction do. that you want to see. And then you can organize it on a calendar. So you can say, okay, I'm going to go to this attraction on the 25th of June or whatever, or I'm going to use this travel company, on, you know, and you can put up the dates and the times and everything. It's really useful. Yeah, it is. And uh, especially when you're kind of booking things way out in advance, it's really handy to have it all stored somewhere. Because with a guidebook, you can kind of dog ear pages and highlight stuff. And But once you start doing travel research online, it's... Uh, it's, it's just so bitsy, isn't it? It's it just goes everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So it's really nice to have somewhere handy and uh, central to pull it all into. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have one, uh, that's that's not a bad idea with your planning. Mm-hmm. Once you've decided on roughly where you'd like to go, mm-hmm. a guidebook can be really handy, though. Um, it's good to get some books out of the library, just a whole bunch. Don't buy them. Go to the library. Even if they're a bit old, you can get an idea of the basic attractions in a place. Also, f- photo books can be really good just to kind of pique your interest yeah some of those um like i think rough guides do a a best places series and lonely planet do a do a series as well that are kind of coffee table books that give you an idea of of what's out there and after you've seen it you can then go online and get as much detail as you'd like about the place yeah and that to me kind of takes away the need for a traditional guidebook Mm um it's you know, I really find guidebooks more useful for that discovery phase and figuring out why I should visit a place yeah. and if it would interest me yeah. rather than, you know, where to eat and what street yes, to go I'll, down. We'd never use a guidebook for where to eat because we prefer to discover it for ourselves. But when we had when we were in Malta, a guidebook was really good because we had a lot of free time. So we'd sit there and read it and kind of dream about the next mm. stage. So it was the dreaming stage again. Yeah, yeah. Or even in South America, we had a couple of guidebooks between the five of us. And it was always about planning the next stage. We didn't use it that much when we were there, although they did get us out of a few scrapes once or twice. Mm, yeah, I mean, yeah, your paper guidebook's handy when you have no internet access and whatever plans you had just fell through. Yes. <laughs> That's when they're really handy. Yeah, if your plan was get to the bus station and let a tout sell you accommodation, which we did a few times, mm. and then there were no touts, it didn't really work. So it's quite good to have the guidebook to give us a few ideas about which street the accommodation might be in. Yeah. 
And of course, now if you want, you can uh, you can ask for information online, and uh, with the new Indie Travel Podcast community, you can of course do that. Um, IndieTravelPodcast.com/slash/Europe uh, for all of our European city guides and country guides, and then just click through to the Europe forum and feel free to to post a new question there. And gosh, there's there's a few hundred people in the community now, so I'm sure you'll get some good answers. Another planning thing you need to think about is, well, depending on where you're going, you might need some vaccinations. So book yourself into a travel doctor around three months before you go, because that will give you enough time to get the full dosage of any vaccinations you need. And um, it'll also help you absorb the shocking prices of vaccinations. <laughs> yes. Gosh, they suck. <laughs> yeah, you'll need, you'll need a, uh, a couple of months to recover and get your, your budget back on track. Yeah, we'll need to think about that for our next next ones. Well, I think I need my yellow fever. Yeah, well, last time we ended up going through Asia without our uh, encephalitis vaccines because we we, we went too late. Oh, yeah, we so we only got the only got the first one. So, uh, yeah, not wise. Go go early and get it done. And considering we're three months away from leaving, we need to book that next week. We do. Right, moving on. <laughs> so moving on to another big cost after the cost of the vaccinations onto the cost of transport. Transport is really, really definitely going to be your biggest cost unless you're going crazy on the accommodation. But when you take flights into into account, you will be spending most of your money on transport. Yeah, and I think the the shorter the trip, the more you tend to spend on, trans, on transport. More definitely the higher percentage you spend. Yeah, yeah, well, of course. Because flights don't vary that much. But I mean... As a general rule, the sooner you book, the better. So, of course, you'll be wanting to book your flights as soon as possible. But also, your internal transport needs to be thought about. Because definitely in the UK, we've found the sooner you book, the better for all sorts of transport. For trains, mm. unless they're really short trips that are fixed price. But things like coach trips, short hops on the plane, you really need to book in advance. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm thinking of Megabus. How oh, yeah. By booking uh, a couple of months in advance, because we knew what date we wanted to move going from uh, London up to Glasgow or Edinburgh for like three or four pounds between us, including the booking fees. What we'd quite often do was was just make up a random date. Like we'd plan out a rough itinerary. We'd find a date that might work and then just buy buy the tickets because they cost a pound at that point. And then if we could make it work, we'd make it work and we'd use the bus. And if we couldn't make it work, we'd lost two pounds. Yeah. You know, that was less than the price of a cup of coffee. So we weren't too bothered. But that was, and then we did that as well with um, flights from Malta. We found some really cheap flights from Malta to go to Barcelona for, I think it was 13 euros each. I think we paid a total of 30 for both of us because we needed to have something. And a few days later or a week or two later, we found flights going where we wanted to go, which was Bremen. I think it was 20 euros each. So in total, we spent 70 euros. Now we lost the 30 euros on the first flights, but at least we had something. At least we had a way out of Malta. And given that when we lived in Malta, we couldn't afford to leave because the taxes were so high. We were quite happy to pay. I think it worked out about the same as the price of taxes, of, of taxes for four yeah. flights that we only used to off. It was hilarious. Yeah, it yeah, really was. <laughs> now, we used to recommend a website called The Train Line for booking trains in the UK, but their booking fees have gone through oh, the really? roof. So um, it's it's actually now cheaper to book on the the local train whether using Southwest trains or whatever, um, actually going to their website directly and doing the booking and avoiding the excess booking fees. However, it's I still find it really good for doing research and actually looking at all the connections. Mm-hmm. And then 
any ticket office can sell you those connections. So it's just about getting in there early and making sure you get the cheap prices. Yes, definitely. Well, we've talked about getting around the UK. So let's look at getting around continental Europe. On the continent, there's, well, there's three main options, or four if you include buying or, hi- buying or hiring a car. Buying a car. Buy, buy buying. A, Why don't we just use that? Buying a car. Knowledge is in. Cars can be really expensive on the continent, not because of the price of petrol or the higher cost, but because of the number of road tolls and highway taxes that need to be paid. Yeah. Basically, you've got to budget one euro on road tolls for every euro that you spend on petrol. Yeah, you might not use it, but it's worth budgeting for it. Yeah, definitely. And we, when we hired a car, we tried going the back roads. And it took so much longer than going on the main roads that you're spending at least as much in petrol as you would have been on tolls. Oh, yeah, definitely. But you save the time. So, yeah. And uh, I don't know if it's still there um, because Switzerland's recently opened up its borders further, but you still have to have a special uh, tax disc. Oh, you definitely still need that. For uh, driving in Switzerland. So there's things like that. As you pass into different countries, you might have different uh, tolls and taxes to pay. So talk to whoever you're hiring the car from about all of this stuff so you don't end up pinged with a ticket rather than just paying the uh, the toll cost. Yeah, and also be aware of parking rules. <laughs> <laughs> we won't talk about our parking ticket in Strasbourg. We'll just never go back to Strasbourg. <laughs> we did go back to Strasbourg after that. <laughs> well, anyway, so that's something to consider. If you're thinking about buying or hiring a car... Buying, I did it again! If you think about buying a car, then... <laughs> You should definitely consider all of these things because it might end up more expensive than you had thought. Now, flights out of hub cities like London or Berlin can be really cheap. Uh, We've had tickets which, after taxes, cost us about €20. And that's unbelievable. It was incredible. I mean, in some cases, it's the same to catch the flight as it is to get to the airport. Which is also something to think about because... Depending on where you're flying into, it could cost you the same to get from the airport to the city as it has cost you for the flight. Definitely Mm. in London, that goes without saying. Unless you fly into Heathrow, it's expensive to get to the airports in London. But we flew into Bremen, it cost us €1.70 because we could just hop on a tram from straight outside the arrivals terminal. Mm. So that's something to look into. We use toandfromtheairport.com and it's so useful. It has a really good list of all the different ways you can get to and from the airport. And, um, you know, if you're tossing up between... Two cities that are quite close and the price of, um, of the flights are the same, that might be something worth considering. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, most budget flights, and one thing that you need to consider if you've bought, always bought with, with older airlines, is that they don't have any kind of flexibility. Oh, no. And I mean, you can't change the dates, you can't change a name or a misspelling. So you just end up losing the ticket because it's actually cheaper to buy a new ticket most yeah. of the time than, than pay the change costs. And you've also got to be really careful with luggage allowances and if you have to print your boarding pass before you get to the airport and do you have to yeah. do an online check-in. And like read the small print carefully. When I say there's no flexibility, I mean there is just none. if they say you've got 7 kilos of baggage allowance and you have 7.5, expect to be paying for the 0.5. Yeah. I mean, there is a. There's, well, we have encountered flexibility, but you can't. You oh, can't count yeah. on it. It's oh, it's just shocking. Um, and we have. I mean, we've been traveling for so long, and we still make mistakes. Like in Australia, we didn't realize that one of our tickets was a check-in only ticket because it didn't say on the ticket, 
And so, yeah, we had to pay a, a $20 fee at the airport. Yeah. And we just had to suck it up because that was well, the rule. I knew it was online check-in. It was just the fact that online check-in closed five hours before the flight. Oh. So we were sitting, like, in the in the square using the, the Wi-Fi before we caught the, the bus in. I thought, great, it's three hours before the flight, we'll check in. No, online check-in had closed. Yeah. Five hours. Yeah, so you Gosh. need to look at it and you need to make a note of it somewhere. Probably yeah. not with your ticket because, you know, it wasn't mentioned <laughs> on our ticket, so that was an online check-in. It had a code. I think it was WC, which could mean, you know, toilet. But no, apparently it meant web check-in. Not that that was referenced anywhere else. Anyway, when you buy a ticket, make a note of it and make a note of anything you have to do. For example, sometimes you can choose your seat um, when you're when you're buying a ticket. Other times you have to choose your t- seat when you're, you know, kind of checking in online. Other times you have to pay if you want to choose your seat. And it's just oh, circular. So make sure you really understand what the ticket is that you're buying and what you need to do to be able to use it. Well, the trains in uh, in Western Europe and Scandinavia and in Britain as well, actually, are generally fast and efficient ways of getting around. But uh, the prices are spiraling, upwards. spiraling upwards, the wrong direction. <laughs> um, however, with a few notable notable exceptions, like the the high speed trains, uh, the Talus, the uh, the TGV, the Eurostar, there's not really many security checks like there are in airports. It's very, very seldom that you're going to have bag searches and things like that on the normal train lines. Yeah, and they're usually really secure and clean and just nice ways of getting around. Yeah, very I good love way. traveling by train because you can sit and enjoy the views while listening to a podcast or an audio book or whatever while having a conversation. And, you know, you can get up, go and get a drink from the from the food cart. It's just, it's nice. <laughs> but yes, expensive. And there are ways of getting around it. Again, if you buy your tickets in advance, you can usually save a lot of money. Um, in some places, if you have a group, if you're traveling in a group, you can save money. In Austria, if you're doing a lot of travel in Austria, you can get a pay, I think it's 100 euros, and that gives you um, a ticket, which means you get 50, 50% off all of your tickets that you buy. So when we were spending almost a year in, in a, when we spent almost a year in Austria, we definitely had those, and they <laughs> saved us so much money. They sure did. Um that's in, in Western Europe and Scandinavia. From about Poland, I know Poland's been doing a lot of upgrades recently, um, but from kind of Poland east mm-hmm. and, and north up into the Baltics, the train network really deteriorates, deteriorates quickly. We noticed um, seriously when we went from, was it from Austria to Poland? Yeah, Austria to Poland and then from Poland up to Vilnius. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of went from high-speed train to slow train to to minibus. Yes, we did. We had to change it to a coach. We had a listener question, which we might as well bring in now. Vera Marie said, In years past, we enjoyed train travel in Europe. Still enjoy the train, but the rates last summer, from France to Belgium to Amsterdam, were enormously high, and I spent a lot of time over a few months tracking the rates to try and catch the best ones. I know that you've recommended URL passes in the past, but I never found them to save money when you had a particular itinerary in mind. Are independent travellers going less by train and more by bus nowadays? We even found renting a car cheaper than the train. And, uh, yeah, as we said, those train prices are, uh, they just keep rising. Yeah, especially compared with the current US dollar. <laughs> yes, yes, that's uh, that's not, not too pretty. 
Well, I think the Eurail Pass is definitely offer great value if you're doing an extended city hopping trip, like we did on our first trip mm. up from Malta back to London. Um, if it's in Western and Scandinavian Europe, yeah, I, not so much in the south. No, Greece, Italy, um, yeah, around the Adriatic, Mediterranean, not really so helpful because the point-to-point prices there are so cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as you hit, say, Austria, Sweden, Switzerland, Germany, Germany Austria, <clears throat> um, the the point-to-point tickets up there are so expensive that the daily cost of the Eurail Pass all of a sudden be- begins to look a lot, lot better. Yeah, the trick with the Eurail Pass is to look at it, work out how many days you're going to be using it, and work out how much that costs you per day. So say, for example, it costs you 60 euros if you're buying a certain pass. Then look at the point-to-point tickets. If you're going to be paying more than 65 euros for buying your ticket, even if they're buy- you're buying it in advance, then you're probably worth getting a Eurail Pass. Because that also gives you flexibility. It means you can catch any train. And quite often, it's any, you, you have a, a few days to choose from. Mm. So if you needed to change your day, you wouldn't have to lose your ticket. Yeah, you get a lot more flexibility that way. So we really enjoyed it for the flexibility. So I think even if we were going to be spending a little bit more on point-to-point tickets, uh, spending a bit more on URL Pass than on point-to-point tickets, I think we'd probably still get it. Maybe, yeah. I mean, it's also worth pointing out that if you're over 26, you're forced to buy a first-class ticket. Um, like the URL passes for over 26s are just first class. So that makes it more expensive once you hit 26. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also if you group book you can and, and travel together, you can get better rates yeah. uh, for so buying, buying, buying a saver pass. I believe it's called for groups. Yeah. But everyone's actually got to be on the same train. Yeah, but a group is two people. So I mean, can, Yeah, but after you start getting more people... I don't think it saves any more. Oh, it doesn't it? No, I think it's just... Oh, I thought it did. So much percentage, 10%, whatever it is, 15, yeah. 15% I think it is, okay. for a group ticket. So if you were travelling as a group, um, look into it, but if you had four people, you'd probably be best buying two sets of two, just in case you wanted to split off into different groups. Yeah. Because you do need to name your pass, and you need to say who you're travelling with. Yeah. And you need to have your passport with you at all times to be able to prove who you are. We've only been asked a couple of times, actually, in, in the you know, a couple of weeks that we've used the URL pass. I think we've been asked twice or three times to show our passports. But, yeah, we have been asked. And in our last trip to Europe, we got given some tickets by URL.com and we used them to travel around from Switzerland, Germany, Belgium, Holland, Denmark, up into Sweden and Norway. And then we flew back down to Spain and used the tickets in Spain and in uh, Italy. And we figured out that the passes saved us about a hundred euros a day because we were traveling first class, mm-hmm. and that was a um, hundred euros a day yes, and saved accommodation, uh, saved transport costs. Bearing in mind that we wouldn't have bought first class tickets, we would have been traveling second class. That's right. But I think when you worked it out on that, we were still saving like fifteen to twenty dollars a it day. It still was it was cheaper, which ad- admittedly yeah. is only ten dollars a day each, but it well, was ten euros cheaper. a day, sorry, mm-hmm. each, but. Yeah, still good money. Yeah, but I mean, we were travelling a lot, and I suppose if we hadn't had the Euro Pass, we would have had a more constricted timetable. We probably would have travelled more point to point and stayed places, stayed places longer. longer. Yeah. So yeah, Vera, it's all. Uh, it depends on what kind of travel you want. Yeah. yeah. Um, we enjoyed having the flexibility. We enjoyed having the flexibility and to be able to hop on a train and just go and do what we wanted. So yeah. 
but that, it really depends. If you do visit uh, IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Pass, that redirects to the latest URL deals we've found. Uh, at the moment, probably until the end of this week, if you've downloaded it immediately, I know there's a, uh, a $50 off sale for US buyers. Um, but yeah, I think that'll be changing. But we keep looking out for the best URL passes and the best pricing. And so IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Pass will, will redirect. Well, the end of Vera's question brings us on to the coaches and buses that make up the, the last mainstream option for backpackers in Europe. While each country has its own network, Eurolines is the largest coach network in Europe, which covers well, pretty much everywhere. Yeah, pretty much. And their prices are a good place to start. So if you're looking for approximate prices to how much you'll be paying, start there. And then you can look for competition for specific routes. Yeah, I mean, and it's often easiest to find that competition locally in the local bus stations. Because uh, online it changes so, so much. Yes. Whereas Eurolines is handy in that it's it's everywhere. And including on some of the ferries and stuff like that, uh, sold under the Eurolines banner. Mm-hmm. So you can really get a pretty good idea of, of what the coach costs are going to be. Um, IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Eurolines will take you there. Very convenient. Most coaches are comfortable, but one recommendation, highly recommended that you avoid travelling on the same route as football fans are likely to be travelling on uh, because you will have an unpleasant journey. Or at least we had an unpleasant journey when we took an overnight bus from uh, Warsaw to Vilnius. Yes. We did not get a lot of sleep. And no. I didn't really enjoy the beer cans rolling up and down the aisle. No, nor the singing. No. Well, at least we had the luck to be in the front co- half of the coach in front of the um, the back doors. Yes. Whereas some unfortunates were in the back where most of the football fans were. So, yeah. In that case, earplugs, iP- iPod, definitely. And still not helpful. It helped a little. <laughs> it helped a little. So, yeah. So, if, if you can avoid traveling on uh, days you know football fans will be migrating around the continent... Uh-huh. Um, yeah, very helpful. Yeah, we, we chose an overnight bus, I think, to save on accommodation. Yeah. It, it didn't. Well, it didn't. We were so <laughs> we exhausted. We just went straight to a hostel and, and booked in. Unfortunately, we booked into the same hostel that the, uh, the football fans were going to. <laughs> not, not the cleverest of plans. Yes, uh, it was a fail. <laughs> talking about accommodation, of course, couch surfing is, is awesome. Awesome, um, You can go and stay with local people. Be their guest, uh, but make sure you look after them with uh, with food and gifts. Um, couchsurfing.org to check that out. There are other ones as well, like Hospitality Club, so that, that might be worth looking into as well. But in any case, word of warning, Europe, summer, busy. Yes, yeah. You have to really be speaking with people at least a week to ten days in advance. Um, oh, for some, sure. Some people are hyper-organised and they're like, book out their entire summer months in advance of who's staying and Mm -hmm. everything like that. Other people like to have a bit more spontaneity, so Mm -hmm. they'll turn down requests up to um, maybe a week, 10 days beforehand, then start accepting them. But gosh, guys, couch surfing gets busy. Yeah. I'd recommend you start looking at least three weeks in advance and start preparing your your requests Mm. and make sure you read people's profiles because if they're the kind of person who likes to get a late request then don't send one three weeks in advance Mm. whereas if they're the kind if you can see from their profile that they're the kind of person who likes to be organized feel free to send it earlier and they'll probably appreciate it yeah and uh do have a backup hostel in mind oh definitely and yeah i mean try to 
organize something with someone at least a week in advance. And if you haven't got something a week in advance, then yeah, start looking for hostels. Yep. And in fact, it might be worth looking for hostels anyway. Sometimes you do need to have your own space. So mm. even if you're planning on couch surfing most of the time, you'll need to have an idea of what hostels there are around. Yeah, um, there is an emergency couch surfing groups as well for most cities uh, where people might have last minute rooms available. But don't so rely on them. Yeah, but there are times when you arrive and all of the hostels are full and there's only $150 a night hotel rooms and you're stuck. Yeah. And then it can be a really good time to use it. But yeah, do leave it as an emergency option for people that are that are really stuck and need it because yeah. the day that you'll need it, you won't want someone just being a smart ass kind of stealing your emergency room. Yeah, that's right. Um, if you are planning on hosteling, or if you need to because there are no couch surfing, be aware that popular hostels tend to fill up really quickly. And sometimes it's possible that you can t- arrive in town in the afternoon and find something good by nightfall. Possibly not the best idea. Yeah, I mean, especially in smaller towns. Um, I'm thinking places like well, Salzburg or Innsbruck in Austria, um, and big places too where there's just more demand than there is accommodation um venice barcelona rome oh, yeah venice <laughs> the, the budget stuff just doesn't exist it either doesn't exist so or it's full. gone yeah <laughs> at three months in advance yeah. so, and so. you get stuck paying massive prices for somewhere really rubbish or being far um, far away from everything yeah so or um <laughs> yeah or both So uh, as much fun as it is, um, maybe be thinking three to seven nights out. You want to start looking around uh, hostelbookers.com, use indietravelpodcast.com slash hostels. Um, If that's got nothing, then um, travelerspoint.com has quite a nice search engine. Uh, They connect to the hostelworld.com database, I think, but... um, those databases are somewhat bigger than hostel bookers. There's a lot more hotels and things like that in there. They have a different selection. Right? Um, and so, yeah, you just kind of start playing it off when you start yeah. running out of options. There's also places like lastminute.com, which might be worth considering. Mm. Um, and booking.com, which we found really good in Europe uh, this summer to, to pick up hotel rooms at the same price as hostels. Yeah. Um, and places like Valencia and, and things like that. Yeah, it worked really well for us. Well, another listener question. Lashwall Tour asks, what's the least you can expect to pay for, for accommodation on a regular basis around Europe? Do those prices vary a lot from country to country or are pretty standard? Well, I think, I was thinking about it, and I think that if you want a, a bunk in a hostel, so it's a, a shared room, maybe four to six people, and you want something that's reasonably clean and reasonably central, it's fair to budget about 20 euros to 25 euros if you want yes. a rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. Um, I went and had a look through things today for hostels in mid-June and kind of went through places that I'd be happy to stay at. Uh-huh. So I knocked out the bottom ones, um, the ones that were far out of town, the ones that looked filthy, and kind of these are the prices I came up with. Uh, London, looking at 25 to 30 euro. Madrid, around 20 euro. Rome, 25 to 30 euro. Athens was a bit cheaper, kind of 18 to 25. Uh, Warsaw, 12 to 17 euro. Bucharest, 10 to 15 euro. Uh, Tallinn in Estonia, 8 to 12, maybe 15 at the high end. 
So you can see as you move from, from west to east, the prices they definitely drop. slowly but surely drop off for the main centres. But then once you curve back up to uh, to Scandinavia, um, Copenhagen, you're kind of looking more at 30 euro a night for something that wasn't overly central or, or yeah. useful. Um, Helsinki, the cheapest I could find was 25 euro. Wow, you found one for 25 euros yeah, in Helsinki. And I know that when we were there, we paid about 45 euros each, I think. Was it that much? Yeah. And Helsinki wasn't too bad because we were on that little island in the Yeah. Harbor. We were paying quite a lot. We had to share with, I think, our football fans as well. It was smelling <laughs> yeah. and loud. But um, yeah, it was definitely not cheap. We found something in the harbour and it worked out cheaper to get the ferry tickets there and back mm. than to stay in the city. That, it was actually yeah. really nice, a really nice place to stay. But, um, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's cheaper options than these. I was using IndieTravelPodcast.com slash hostels, but they'd be places that I'd look to stay. So yeah, um, Lash, you're kind of looking at a ballpark figure of 20 euros, more expensive um West of Germany and West, mm-hmm. and Although cheaper. Berlin, Poland surprisingly means. cheap, very yeah, cheap. Yeah, Berlin. Berlin's just got awesomely cheap rent. Yeah. Um and yeah, fan- fantastic city, and probably the cheapest capital in yeah. Western Europe. We were amazed. We love it. Well, a, a listener, sci-fi backpacker, recommends staying in campgrounds. He says some of his best European memories are of time spent with friends at campgrounds. And yeah, we when we were in Rome, we stayed at a, a campground. Um, I think I found it when I was looking at these hostel prices earlier today. Oh yeah. And where a hostel in the centre was going to cost kind of twenty five to thirty euros, uh, to stay in a like a cabinette in a campground uh, looked like it was about twenty euros. So it's it kind a of two thirds of the price. Bathroom. Well, the ones we stayed in were yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, Rome's the only city where we've done any urban camping, and we looked very carefully at the price of transport getting in and out of the city, because you know there's no point saving five bucks on uh, five bucks on accommodation if you're going to stay twenty minutes away from the city and pay ten bucks every time you go backwards and forwards. That's right. I think we could get a day pass that was really affordable. Yeah, um, but it did eat a lot of our time. Mm-hmm. Probably about one lost. and a half, two hours a day. <laughs> yeah, and. You know, you've got to trade that off, I guess, your your budget versus your time restraints. Yeah, that's right. And, yeah, when we travel in groups, as we said before, sometimes just as a couple, we found hotels sometimes offer better rates than hostels. So we, these days, generally tend to stay in a private room in a hostel because we're getting old. And um, so, which can generally be really, really cheap. But sometimes hotels rival that or even are cheaper mm. than the hostels. For example, when we were in Valencia, we were paying... 60 euros a night for the hostel room, which was fine, so it was 30 euros each. And we got a bottle of Prosecco on arrival, and we had our own bathroom, and it was really nice. But then because we inadvertently arrived for La Tomatina, um, the prices were going to go up to 120 euros per night, so that would be 60 euros each. We're like, hang on, surely we must be able to find something better than that. So we looked around it on Booking.com, which we mentioned earlier. We found a hotel, a bit out of town, but that was okay because we had a bus ticket or a train ticket. Um... And it was going to be 60 euros, which was the same as what we had been paying for the hostel. And we thought, okay, we'll move there. And it had a pool. It had a pool. It did have a pool. And it was so hot. It was brilliant. You know, staying in a hotel, you lose the uh, the social features of staying in a hostel, which is a bit of a pain, but it's also good to have a break sometimes. Yeah, and it was so nice. So nice. Um, 
travel insurance. If you can't afford travel insurance, then consider just not traveling. Um, yeah, we traveled without insurance for a while, or we just insure when we felt like we were going somewhere dodgy. But we have moved on from then. Yeah, we have. Um, we just heard know, too if, many stories, and too yeah, many things have happened to us. It's not really about losing the value of property. Like, if our bags go, that's terrible, but okay. But if, you know, we're out hiking and need emergency evacuation, I don't want to pay for the search and rescue team and the helicopter and the medical. No I don't thanks. know about you, but I can't afford it. I'll just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't know about my secret bank accounts. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's that's the kind of stuff that freaks me out. Not losing my bag. No, I definitely don't. Yeah, it's those crazy, crazy prices, eh? Yeah. Um, we are using World Nomads, indietravelpodcast.com/slash/worldnomads to get a quote from them, or uh, indietravelpodcast.com/slash/insurance. And there's good advice. Well. I think I wrote it. Uh, I think there's some pretty good advice on insurance there. Um, questions and issues you should look at when you're yeah. comparing different policies and and things that you might not think about that you should check the small print for. Yeah. Also, you might be able to extend your insurance. Like if you've got a house and you've got house and contents insurance mm. or medical insurance, you might be able to get an extension on that, which might save you a lot of money on specialist travel insurance. Yeah, it's true. And other we times, don't have a house or yeah. a car. Or anything like that. We do have yeah. a car at the moment. I, I don't think extending our, uh, our car insurance to uh, take us overseas would be that helpful. Um, It'd be brilliant. It, get... it depends on how long you're <laughs> traveling and, and what options are available. So, yeah, just have a look around. Well, uh, we asked via the Indie Travel Podcast community and on Facebook as well for questions about traveling Europe. So here they are, the, uh, the remaining ones, and here are the answers. So number one, I'll be traveling through Europe without much of an agenda for about four months. I'm considering bringing a netbook with me. I'll only be taking one 32-litre bag with me, and I am looking to travel light. Is a netbook worth the space in my bag and the $200 US price tag? How accessible are internet cafes, how are the computers, and what is the cost of using them? Uh, well, using a computer in an internet cafe in Europe at the moment could be anywhere between a euro and 10 euros an hour, depending on where you are and how touristy the neighborhood is. Basically, yeah. the more tourists you get, the higher the price goes. And the fact is that internet cafes are dying out because yeah, they're being they, replaced they, with Wi-Fi they're connections. They're much harder to find than they were even a couple of years ago. Yeah, I ran into a friend in the supermarket the other day and she was saying that she was just planning on using internet cafes. And I told her, take something. Take something with you to be able to connect to the Wi-Fi, even if it's just a smartphone or an iPod, iPod Touch. Yeah. Because, you know, internet cafes are all right, but you don't want to rely on them, and I would never, ever, ever use them to check my bank balance. No banking. No banking. No, no. no banking. Um, so, I mean, yeah, most hostels offer free Wi-Fi. Um, couch surfing hosts are normally happy to allow you to plug into their system or use their Wi-Fi. Um, you know, and, and if your hotel or hostel or whatever accommodation doesn't, Every second kind of real cafe will, and a lot of cities in Europe have municipal Wi-Fi. Yeah, like go, go go sit in a park in Switzerland and watch the squirrels and and use the free Wi-Fi. It's much nicer um, than being stuck in a smelly internet cafe. Yeah, so I would say bring the netbook or or bring something to to use the internet, but of course it depends on your your usage patterns. Um, but I well. Even if you're if, going to be spending an hour a day online, bring a network. 
Yeah. Or if you're going to be spending an hour a day writing or something like that, yeah. then bring a netbook. If you're going to be spending less than that, maybe half an hour, You'll be bring using, an iPhone, yeah. um, an iPhone or an iPod Touch or something like that to allow you to connect. And also, the good thing about that is that you can get lots of apps with guidebooks and with maps and all sorts of mm-hmm. things. No one looks twice at someone looking at a screen, uh, a little phone screen, whereas someone looking at um, guidebook around is definitely going to get noticed. Mm. We've preempted the next <clears throat> question, which is I'm looking to replace a broken iPod and I'm considering buying an iPod Touch because I've heard there's lots of apps for translating words and travel guides. So is it worth getting an iPod Touch or should I just get an old-fashioned guidebook? iPod Touch! <laughs> I've got one in my pocket at the moment. I like it. Yeah, well, I think they're great for travel. I mean, Linda's talked about the security aspect of, and especially in Europe, which is affluent. No one looks twice at anyone using a smartphone or anything like that. They're but, really unlikely to, to nick it off you. Um, but if you've got a guidebook, you're kind of, it's a big, nice big target sign. Um, if you're standing with a, a lonely planet or a map at the corner of a street, kind of looking around lost, you you know, if if there are con artists, scam artists around, they're going to recognize you straight away. Um, but if you're, if you're looking at a, a smartphone screen, you just blend in. Some of the apps do need internet access to do translation and stuff yeah, like that. So true. it's worth looking into it, see if it works offline, because some of them you can use offline, some of them no. Um, there are lots of dictionary apps that store their databases for your machine, so you can use it offline. So make sure that you choose one like that. Yeah. We tend to use online sources for all of our on-the-ground planning. Um, so we're looking on our devices and storing them. You know, We can take a photo of, of whatever we find online, and then we've got it offline. But the only times we use guidebooks more useful, the only times we find guidebooks more useful is when we're kind of doing the, the dreaming stage. We're planning mm. the overall itinerary and thinking about what yeah, we're going to be doing. It's a pre-planning, eh? Yeah. Um, or when power's like hard if, to find. If power's hard to find, not going to happen in Europe... Um, I mean, in Southeast Asia, people tell me they still carry Lonely Planet Asia on a shoestring because they don't want to throw their laptop across the room at the rats. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in, in Europe, I don't think you're going to have that problem. So I guess the the real question is, do you want to be taking that netbook or um, do you want to be taking a, an iPod Touch or maybe an iPad? And it really depends on your usage. I mean, you know if you do a lot of writing, what's going to be comfortable. If you're mainly going to be storing photos, uploading them to Facebook, doing that kind of communication style of things, um, maybe booking hostels, reading travel guides. You know, it really depends what you feel more comfortable with and what your usage is going to be like. Yeah, for sure. Well, next part, I don't feel very savvy about visas. As a US citizen, it looks like I'm able to travel to any of the Schengen countries for three months within a six-month period. Are there any possibilities for getting an extended visa without having to spend much money? No idea. No. The Italians have a word for this. <laughs> <laughs> but. Well, I mean, US visas are a bit beyond us being New Zealanders. Um, the, the last time I looked, Americans could stay in the Schengen zone for a grand total of three months. So not three months in each country. But uh, I, I have no idea what the, the visa upgrade options are or if that's changed. Uh, Kristen Gilbert over at Almost Fearless has just released a book, which I haven't read yet. might be helpful. 
Uh, it's called the Visa Book, and I believe you can get that at uh, almostfearless.com. Sounds appropriate. And yeah, I, I'll ask her for a copy so we can review it, but I think that would be just the book for you. It sounds perfect. But if you've got an answer to the question, uh, swing by the Europe Travel Forum on Indie Travel Podcast and tell us, because we don't know, and maybe you do. So let us know, please. The thread is called Indie Travel and Backpacking Around Europe. Convenient. And you can also leave new Europe travel questions in the forum or questions about anything in the other groups. Yeah, of course. Well, I think we're going to have to finish up. Um, I'm just skip, going to sleep. Skip community wisdom and, uh, and just jump right through it. But there is a lot happening. So come and grab a free account at IndieTravelPodcast.com slash community and join in and we'll see you soon. You can help the Indie Travel Podcast stay traveling by booking through us. Visit IndieTravelPodcast.com slash flights slash hostels and slash insurance when you're booking your travel online. There's also travel deals updating every day at IndieTravelPodcast.com slash deals. Mm. Just thinking about it, we've just been talking about Europe and we've talked heaps about general travel tips. Um, if you're keen to hear about destinations, cities, unusual places, weird stuff you might not have heard of, then uh, then do let us know. We've got a Facebook group, uh, IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Facebook or Facebook.com slash IndieTravel. You just mix it up however you want. <laughs> Just got to get that .com in the right place. .com in the middle. That's a trick. Yeah, make sure they're different. IndieTravelPodcast.com slash Facebook or Facebook.com slash IndieTravel. Yeah, don't mix and match. Mix and match, yeah. yeah. Uh, of course, you can invite your friends there. Um, tell them about the show. Um, help us kind of grow the audience. But um, if you'd like to hear more about Europe in terms of destinations, then let us know. We can do a follow-up podcast. Yeah, we're happy to blather on about anything. <laughs> yeah. That's a nice way to put it. (laughs) Well, that's us for this week. Until next week, travel well.